Hey, welcome back to another episode of Gear Talk. I'm Wes Cash, and today we're going to be talking about something that I feel like a lot of people try to implement, but don't necessarily do it really well, or maybe not even know where to begin. And we're talking about operator-driven reliability. So to really explore this topic and to understand someone that's been involved in these initiatives, we have Jeremy Edwards here with us. And uh, I'm excited because, uh, Jeremy, we've worked together for a while. We're, we're friends outside of work. And you've kind of got a history around uh, maintenance, around lubrication, around exactly what we're talking about today. And why don't you give us a little bit of introduction? Because part of this podcast is we want to understand, you know, the individual as well, the the person that's giving maybe some advice or experience that they've gone through. So go ahead. Sure. Um, yeah, Jeremy Edwards. Well, I've been with Nori now for going on a decade. So yeah, a um, yeah, uh, little bit of background on the lubrication side before I came to Noria. Uh, spent time in the military. Between the military and Noria, I worked at a paper mill. Um, so that was a lot of fun. It was really kind of neat. I was making Viva paper towels. Okay. Best ones on the market, just for the record. <laughs> um, but uh, it was it was kind of unique because it was just down the road in Jinx. And yes, they had mechanics and engineers and all that kind of stuff. But it was the operators that owned the equipment out there. Mm-hmm. I was out there three or four years and, and you go through everything to learn about your equipment. You have to get certified on each piece of equipment. And that's, that's where I really learned about, you know, TPM operator driven maintenance, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just kind of getting that different mindset that, uh, we don't typically see anymore at a lot of the places that we go to. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of people will talk about this where they always use the analogy of your personal vehicle, right? Where, you know, who owns reliability? And some people say, well, maintenance owns it. And be like, well, in your personal vehicle, the owner, the operator yourself is yeah. really the one that's in charge of the reliability, right? The mechanic is there to to help, you know, if, if something needs correcting or something. But really, it's you're the one driving it. You know, the weird noises, what's not working, if it acts funny. Yeah. And obviously in your experience, you know, in a paper mill, you're the one around the equipment probably a lot more so than the mechanic or anyone else. Oh, absolutely. The The mechanics and, and the engineers are, the engineers were almost never on the floor. Okay. Right. Uh, mechanics, they'd kind of hang out out there about half the time. But the, the operators are the ones that are out there with that equipment the entire shift. Mm-hmm. You know, so on a, on a 12 and a half hour shift, you know, a few breaks thrown in there, but you've got a lot of experience with that equipment. So you start to learn, okay, well, this is what it sounds like. You know, it's like, well, okay, well, it's making this little tick that it didn't used to make. What could cause that tick? Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the more experience you have with the equipment, the more you get to learn about it and how it operates and everything like that, which I was really lucky because the, they had their their CMMS setup where you could bring up exploded views of all the equipment. Okay. See what was actually inside of it. Yeah. Uh, maybe the components, everything else. Exactly. And you can really dig into, okay, well, this is how it's actually functioning. And the more you understand the equipment, one thing, the smoother you could keep it running. Sure. I was like, because operators are always trying to get more and more and more out of the equipment, right? There's a production goal or anything that may be driven towards, right? Yeah. So, so you're trying to, to drive that production up, trying to push that machine to its limits and knowing how it actually works and which components are operating, you know, touching other components and, and how it all works together really drives that. Okay, well, I can push it here, but I don't want to push it here because then stuff breaks. Sure. It's, I've, I've heard stories of people where 
um, you know, an operations manager or supervisor would have a key mm-hmm. and the maintenance uh, supervisor would have a key to, you know, increase or decrease speed of the machine, the operation, stuff like that done in tandem. Yeah. So here we're going to talk mostly about the operation side. All right. So let's dive into this topic a little bit, right? In your opinion, kind of in your mindset, mm-hmm. why does operations need to be involved in any reliability initiative? Why should this not sit with the mechanics? Why should it not sit with um, a, a reliability group as its own? Because who's out there with the equipment? Who knows when it's going down? Yeah, It's the people out there operating it. They are. It doesn't matter if they're a part of the program or not. They are still your first line of defense on whether that equipment is going to be operating or not. Now I've, I've got this broken down into four different areas and I kind of want to, you know, kind of pick your brain and see from your experience in these four areas. So the first one that I want to talk about is the actual tasks that should be involved or in your experience has been involved whenever, whenever we have operations involved in a reliability initiative. So what is that? You mentioned TPM, stuff like that. What are those levels of tasks or types of tasks that you would expect, you know, to see operations take control of? Operations, we were doing the day-to-day stuff. Okay. Okay. We've got, there were like on the, the uh, log accumulator, huge chain. There's a, a little drip system for the chain on there. Big mess, drip system, uh, is fairly liberal. So it was going through, you know, about a gallon and a half of oil per shift. Okay. I was like, well, so you got to go out there and make sure you put the right oil in that thing. Okay. And, you know, then, and they had that down there. Like, this is the oil that we, that we use. This is the, where you get it. This is the container it goes into. And and this is where it goes. Okay. So in the lubrication world, we'd call that a top up. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I was like, so, so our normal top ups. Right. We would take care of those. Um, as far as greasing goes, there wasn't a whole lot for us to grease on there. We had some linear motors that we would work on, but uh, most of the greasing that was done was on a six month or 12 month time frame. Okay. So it's not like every day you were going out there, right. giving something a shot or every two weeks or something like that. Right. It was like, and when it was time to grease it, you were essentially locking out the entire equipment. Now we might still assist in that part of it. Okay. But you're talking about, it was every six months they would do a complete plant shutdown. Okay. 24 hours. All equipment in that facility is down. Okay. Like no conveyors. There's, there's nothing running. And it's a little eerie when you go in there, right? Don't have the ambient noise that you're used to. Exactly. But I would imagine if it's 24 hour period, I mean, everyone's probably fully subscribed during that 24 hours too. So I guess operations is a way to backfill on some of these tasks. And that's exactly what they're doing. They'll, they, they printed out the PMs for us. They're like, okay, uh, Jeremy, here you go. Here are these, you know, so many tasks that you're going to be assisting with on your line. If you knock these out before the prescribed timeframe, I need you to go over to, to line eight and help them out on their stuff. Okay. I was like, um, we've got, uh, one of the guys I worked with out there. Great. He was one of our main, uh, uh, reliability engineers out there. Uh, Ryan EG was his name. Uh, great dude. Um, but, uh, he'd be out there, but standing between the two lines mm-hmm. and helping either line. I was like, okay, you got the PM. It's got good instruction on there. Okay. You know, your equipment. So you know where all these components are. I was like, so here you go. Here are the tools now. And we've got somebody supervising the operators that are maintaining this equipment 
with the, the the mechanics and the engineers being support for the operators to maintain this stuff. Now, that's going to be for maybe a, I'm just going to use the word generic PM. If something right. really needed to be repaired or something like that, I'm assuming yeah. mechanics are focused on that area. Rebuilds and, and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. We would go out there and we, okay, well, here's your grease gun. These are the points. This is how much is going into these. Go take care of that. Or, you know, we need to change the the blades out on the perf head. That's no big deal. They're, you know, little rectangular blades. You just pop them out, pop new ones in. It just takes a while. Gotcha. There's a whole bunch of them. So stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. But the more in-depth or the, the higher the skill required for the task, obviously the, the more skilled person would be doing it, like the maintenance mechanic or, or the engineer. And I think that may lead me into the next part that I, I kind of want to talk about, right? So this is still in the tasks area, mm-hmm. but what would training look like with that? I mean, was this a, a shadowing? Is this on the job? And then follow up to question that, how do you feel the training should look? I mean, what is kind of ideal? So why don't you give me your experience and then, you know, if there are any recommendations for improving. If someone here is listening and wants to get operations involved, what kind of support do you think you'd give them? Um, I would say talk to the operators and, and talk to the maintenance mechanics, both of them. See what they they see as their vision for for how they want this thing maintained. Uh, I I'm a very curious guy. Okay, it's like so I went out. So this there, is in your nature. This is in my nature. I want to know how stuff works. Mm-hmm. I remember, Dad bought a Tandy 1000 SX computer when I was a kid. Right, <laughs> okay. the old Radio Shack computer. He comes home and I've got that thing in pieces on his desk. And That's probably not a good thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> Fortunately, I was able to get it back together and avoid a beating, but, okay. you know, <laughs> so, so I've always had that curiosity to me is how does this work? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and if you've got operators that have that kind of curiosity to them, right. you know, built into them, they're going to be a prime candidate to be the kind of guys you want out there or, or gals out there actually taking more initiative, giving them more ownership of this stuff. Cause if they understand how it works and what they can do to make it work better, last longer they're gonna do it yeah so what was your um onboarding or training on how to do some of these pms or some of these tasks uh the pms and tasks it was um essentially okay this is how it's done it would would be explained to you okay let me show you how it's done okay there you go okay now you explain to me how it's done Mm, yeah now show me how it's done yeah that's like and it's like okay watch watching you do it okay well They've got that task now. Cut them loose. They're good to go on that. So qualification almost at that point. Yeah. Okay. And then do you feel that's the the proper way to, to do it? Do you feel like something needs to be formalized? I mean, how does that look? It could be formalized if it's if it's required. I know some some facilities were uh there's different bodies involved. Exactly. Sure. So so you might have different politics you gotta deal with on different parts and stuff like that. But I could imagine unions may have an aspect of that as well. So, I mean, yeah, right. depending upon organizational structure, but uh, qualification, I think is always a good thing. Right. Uh, right. Some people lean towards certification, which yeah. certification a little different than qualification. Right. But yeah. Those, those are all good aspects. So aside from tasks, the next area I want to go into is let's talk about the equipment mm-hmm. and specifically modifications of equipment. Yeah. To make it, you know, in a ready state for maybe lubrication excellence for if we're getting operators involved, 
what is the set of equipment accessories that made it easier for you to do your job? Um, well, they had to hear, most of the greasing that was done, uh, like on the wrapper system we had out there, we had a, a, a single line parallel system on it. So an automatic grease system, automatic grease system on it. So, um, and, and it was set up with the, as far as the supply for it, it just coincided with every six months. They'd go out there and make sure that there was somebody else that was taking care of that part of it. My job mm-hmm. was to walk past that piece of equipment every day, not just to, to operate it, but you walk by and you, you look at it, the, the injectors we had, they had a little flag that would stick out the back of it okay. if they'd failed. Okay. It was like, so, you know, if that spring breaks, a little flag sticks out and we're like, hey. So now we've got an inspe- inspection point. Now, yeah, we've got the inspections that we're doing out there. Hey, we see this, this inspection's wrong. I need to go tell my engineer about it um, because we're getting into some more specific stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, so either Ryan or there was a, a, another, you know, reliability engineer that he was over our shift for the most part. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, we've got a, an injector on this that's failed. You know, that's a little bit above my pay grade on this, but I wanted to bring it up, let somebody know that we've got an issue with this piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, what what about other aspects of the equipment? Uh, and you, you talk about your experience in a paper mill. My experience in paper mills, yeah, lots of bearings, yeah. lots of pumps, stuff like that. So, I mean, if you're taking care of those types of equipment, I mean, what would you want to see on it to make it easier? Um, if I'm if I'm dealing with like the paper machine side of it, or any of the stuff that's in the basement, 3D bullseye sight glasses, okay, on pumps, that is a no brainer to me. An easier inspection point for oil level, oil exactly. condition. Yeah. yeah. And see if, I mean, I've, I've been in countless paper mills since I worked out, out at the one that I worked at. And I don't know how many I walked past and you look inside of a pump and you can see pulp. No, it's full it, of stock or something. Else. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, so how about we do something to make sure that that stuff doesn't get in there? Yeah. It's like, okay, well, breathers, stuff like mm. that. Yeah. Right? Something to control the headspace. Um uh, something that you wouldn't normally consider a, uh, like a lubrication or reliability tool is a little action camera. Now, when you say a little action camera, uh, GoPro, GoPro. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Um, I remember one night I was fighting the case packer on my line and it's like, every time I walked away from that piece of equipment, it had failed. So you weren't standing there. If I wasn't, if, <laughs> if I wasn't standing there, it was going to fail. If I was standing there, it would run just fine. Okay. So, I mean, and I, tr- I'm, you know, essentially running the whole line, running back and forth from, from the unwind to the case packer. Yeah. So you're talking about, about the, eh, you know, 75 yards. Okay. You know, so I'm a bit of a big guy. I'm starting to get <laughs> wore out at some point, right? It was like, so I was like, you know what? I'm I'm not going to deal with this all night. I'm not going to run this all night. So I took my cell phone out and put it on record and taped it to the side of the equipment. So you could see what was actually happening when you walked away? Yeah. Do you mind? Do you remember what was going on? Or There was a problem with, it was actually a uh, a vacuum leak on the, on the suction system for opening the boxes up. Yeah. And, and you I don't was know. able to pinpoint when it was failing. And since I knew the equipment, I was like, okay, well, these are the connectors there, and this has got to be what's causing it to fail. So I was able to go into the CMMS, find where the parts were on the shelf, 
go get the parts. And I was able to come back, replace a couple of parts, fire it back up. And instead of fighting this thing for, you know, another six hours throughout the night, I was like, I shut the line down for 15 minutes, did a repair and didn't have any more issues throughout the rest of the night. Do you think there's any risks involved with having operators take, you know, maybe that type of initiative or anything else? I mean, to me, there has to be a pretty good program in place, right? Because ultimately you're going to want that documented somewhere, right? That this went on, you're checking out these uh, parts, you know, out of stores or something like that. Where are they going? What's it for? So was that just an expectation that was on you or is that just something you did on your own volition? Um, is a little bit of a bow. Okay. If, if you weren't comfortable with making the repairs, okay. you weren't expected to do them. But if you were, you were almost encouraged to, to make the repairs? Absolutely. Okay. I was like, they, we, were, we were given essentially carte blanche. We could fabricate parts if they did not exist, if it would get better reliability out of our equipment. So that's a cultural aspect of things, right? That is definitely that's, cultural. That's not something that you can just ingrain into an organization by structure. That is something that is kind of a top-down, uh, you know, push or environment. Yeah, and and that night with that with taping my cell phone to the to the machine, I was taking my own my own job in my own hands at that point because there was very strict rules of. We don't record anything. We don't take pictures of anything on the line. Yeah, you should probably caveat that of, yeah, yeah. you have to be within the plant's guidelines. And exactly. Things, sure. and, and as soon as my as soon as soon my team lead showed up in the morning, because the, the team lead stayed on the on day shift, and I was on night shift at the time. Okay. I was like, hey, I, I was like, I wanted to let you know, this is what I did. Yeah. I was like, here's the video that I took. You can see right here. This is what I was able to discover by finding this. I was like, it's like, I am deleting the photo, the, the footage right now. Here we go. I was like, but it's everything. We were using SAP for the CMMS. Okay. Everything is in SAP as far as what was done. Okay. I was like, so, so I could create an on-demand work order for that piece of equipment and instigate the repair and mark that repair as complete. Okay. So you created a work order, closed it, uh, attributed whatever parts you needed to against it. Yep. Put in whatever notes needed to, to go into it. Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, I, th I think that's great, provided that, you know, you feel comfortable doing it and really that you're probably skilled enough to, to do it as well. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's where I could see people maybe getting into a little trouble. So next area I want to go to is, and you, you've, you we've kind of glanced off this a couple of times, the inspection component of it. Mm -hmm. When I hear operator-driven reliability, it seems like the bulk of the tasks associated with that tend to be more inspection-based. Yeah. So give me kind of a rundown, you know, what are, what are inspections that you were doing? What are inspections that you would expect to, to be done um, if we're getting operators involved in this? Um, most of the inspections that we were doing, like we were not pulling level plugs. Okay. Right. We were not the, the, the reservoirs that we were doing top ups on, they were transparent reservoirs. Very easy to see. Very easy to see the oil level. Yeah. Right. Like so, so we don't have to wonder about it. the mm -hmm. The most drastic stuff that we had to deal with was would be inside the log saw. Okay, and this wasn't necessarily you know uh, on the on the lubrication aspect of things that we were inspecting, but we were looking at stuff like um, well, inside of the log saw, you've got the 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 logs or the the big ten foot rolls of paper towels coming through there, and you've got this giant razor blade spinning around and 
these other sharpening stones that kick in and sharpen this a lot of sparks flying sawdust <laughs> oil you know all this stuff going on it's yeah. like so the big thing you're worried about inside there's hazard there's sure fire hazard right yeah absolutely it's like paper tends to burn so you want to avoid that so so one of the biggest aspects we had was keeping everything you know as as clean as we could sure the cleaner that entire process is one you've got less product that you're losing yeah but two, it's really easy to see when something's going wrong if everything is clean. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how novel of an idea that is in some cases, right? Right. So we're, we're bellied up against time here. Okay. But there's, there's one thing. I want to give you the, the last word here. And I want you to talk about getting operations buy-in or maybe an organization's buy-in to get operations involved in reliability efforts. Um. I would just say, talk to your operators, ask them if they're happy with just doing what they're doing, or if they'd like to be a little bit more than just somebody that's out there hitting buttons, find those people that are curious. Yeah. Those people that are curious and want to know how this stuff is done. They want to do more. Yeah. They might not even say it, but, but there is a certain amount of pride just for the operators on on hitting those production goals that might not even be, you know, corporate goals or anything like that. We just had friendly competition between the different lines of who could create the most. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, people play to competition and honestly, when an organization pours into someone that wants to take on maybe a little bit more, that's a good sign of engagement too. Yeah. And, and, and it makes your, it gives the, the operators, not just ownership of the equipment, but it gives them more ownership of their position. Yeah. It's like they, they feel as though they're more than just, Oh yeah, I just work out at a paper mill. I run a winder. Yeah. It's like, no, it's like, yeah, we're out there and we're maintaining this stuff and keeping it running and breaking records and making it better. Yeah. We, you get that sense of pride and, and you get ideas that are going to change other things that are going on out there. And it just, you get that positive attitude behind it that just drives so much other stuff. All right. Well, Jeremy, I definitely appreciate the time. I mean, it's, it's a big topic. I'm probably going to need you back because I think there's a lot more that we could talk about and maybe get into a little bit more detail on some of the items that you've outlined, but for everyone listening, thank you for, for stopping by. Thank you for taking in gear talk. Once again, if you have any questions, comments, or even if you have suggestions on topics that you'd like covered in the future, you can always email us at podcast at noria.com and be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out, but catch us here again on the next episode of Gear Talk.